The Burroughs of Berea is a conversational podcast. We study the Bible and we talk about it. Not all of us are of the same faith, and one of us doesn't actually have a faith. And that's wonderful. We all love one another, and we're going to continue to talk about these things. The things we believe in and the things we believe about what we read in the Bible. Not all of these are necessarily true. Some of it is opinion and speculation. Thank you for listening and speculating with us. There you go. That was good. Yes. Stomps, stomps, stomps. <laughs> you are listening to the Burroughs of Berea. Well, welcome back to the Burroughs of Berea. I am Rick Welch, and to my left is Rick, the Rickening oh, Carter. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Andy, you pat, you yeah. did that. Did you it lower so, it? Yes. It sounded it, yeah. demonic. That one he just did was had almost as much bass in it as the one I did. <laughs> Maybe lower that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Straight out of Compton, Ralph Hicks. Represent. Behind the glass, Ooh. Rocket Man, Andy Bishop. Sarita the Edge, Edgerton. Keeping it edgy. Bump, 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 Cherry the Annihilator, Lewis. Hello. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> She's so like... She is such a. She's so Mike Tyson. She's not. You got that right, Ralph. Such a lead up. She's not. She gonna bite your ear off. (laughs) That's what it takes. (laughs) She's such a sweet and humble person, but my God, do never, never corner her. Her her husband told me one time. He said, "My wife don't punch like a woman, man. She hits like a man." Is that true? Is that true? She really little, makes a special dispensation for Rodney. Give us no, a little Tom, testimony. That's not good you know, radio when you, you can sh- well, look at Well, you know, with your spouses, there's just certain people that can bring certain things out in you <laughs> that can be good or they can be bad. Now, so. now, you know I like Rodney. We get along excellent, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. But I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andy. God, there wasn't awesome. a lot of hesitation yeah, you had to in ride that. in a van for seven and a half hours with oh. the guy. It was oh, yeah. great. We had fun all the way back. We just talked shit all the way back. <laughs> He's good at that. Yeah. yeah. That's funny. I I went into a Target. <laughs> I went into a Target the other day. All right. And um, so I walk in and I tell her, I'm going to run to the restroom real quick. And because uh, I don't know what it is about my bladder at my age, but I have to pee constantly. I hate it. <laughs> like, it's like, ah. So anyway, I was like, you got them prostate go get, go get one of them ticks. Not I them know, prostate yeah. problems, I already have. I'm but good. prostate problems. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I can drink one cup of coffee and pee 20 times, and it's like, ugh. Are you it. pregnant? Yes. <laughs> Can't you tell? I'm in my third have trimester. Have babies, and let's see how you, how you do. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, I walk in, and I was like, you just go on, hun. I'm going to go to the restroom. So I walk in the bathroom, and it... <laughs> It almost knocks me down. I mean, somebody has destroyed this place, right? <laughs> but I'm like, I gotta go. I gotta pee, you know. So I walk. <laughs> so I walk in, and nobody's in there. So evidently, this happens just like momentarily before it was I get a, there. A go and a go and go. A go and go. Yeah. So I went in. I go to pee. I start washing my hands, and these two teenage oh, no. boys come in, and they think it's you, <laughs> and they're, they're like, they're like, bro, <laughs> man. <laughs> So, of course, I turned and I was like, it, it wasn't, wasn't me. It wasn't me. But I'm the only one in the bathroom, right? So I'm thinking, all right. So I it, it. Right. So I walk out. Dude, it was a hit and run. So I walk out and I go and I try to find Holly. And, like, I'm going to tell her the story, you know, but she asked me a question. We were getting something for her little cousin, Macy. And I, it just kind of slipped my mind for a minute. So we're going on about her shopping or whatever. When I get back to the front of the store, 
and I go to the self-checkout line, there's like 12 or 13 people just staring at me. (laughs) (laughs) Turns out they were with like this church group. Oh my God. And so they're all looking at me like, that's the dude. (laughs) I was like, why? That's amazing. It wasn't me. (laughs) It was awful. It was the Pharisee. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Anyway, so guys, here's the deal with this. It wasn't me. Yeah. So this episode was brought on by a conversation uh, that I had with Andy and with Tiziana. And the Hebrew study, oh, and you, Ralph, too, you had, you had mentioned, you know, there were moments where we were starting to get confused. And then as I would, you know, when I did my rant on our part four, um, you know, and I'd said, Ralph, you know, yeah, if you want to give 70 AD away. And the, the reason why and I'll get into this a little bit deeper. This episode is not part of the study necessarily. Um, but when I said it, what I meant was is that I, the way that I like to teach is I like to get people to come to their own conclusions. I, I don't want to give you the conclusion. I want them to come to their own conclusions. Yeah. But I think in this study, it's going to be helpful. And I think, Andy, you were right. I think that if we can at least oh. outline it, yeah, a well, I don't. I don't really see the. I don't see the path. You know, it's yeah. not even the conclusion I'm worried about. I just. I kind of. Again, I was just. I'm. I'm ignorant, and I was like, well, I'm coming at this from a place of ignorance. So it made sense to me that I was lost. But then after I thought about it, and we did a couple episodes on it, I was like, well, I would like to be caught up. Yeah, and then when I talked to Tiziana about it, you know, she was. She even said, I don't even think we've read anything out of the Hebrews yet. I'm like, dude, you read all of chapter two, and she's like, man, I was so lost. We were going so back and forth. And I was like, yeah, I get that because the Hebrew writer does that too. He goes back to the Old Testament constantly, but he's a New Testament book. And so, and then the stuff that he's heard and the stuff that he's teaching are things that the other New Testament writers are teaching too. Well, you got to remember back when he was talking, the people he was talking to were the people who already knew the Old Testament. So it's easier to go back and forth and talk about the new and compare it to the old because they can follow because they're already in it all the time. Exactly. And also because. And let's just go ahead and get into this, guys. I mean, I know it's scripted, but I do that just so that we're not talking over each other constantly. But I do want to discuss it a little bit further tonight. We have time to talk about it. Um, Tiziana and Billy are not here. Tiziana is on her way. We had some bad traffic here, and uh, Billy had some things to do with this girl. So it's just going to be us. So if we come to a place where it says uh, Billy or Tiziana, guys, just jump in, all right? So I got I got, an- I got another thing to add to that, because I've thought about this a couple different times, and then you know we get busy. Uh, sometimes when we go into these, it might be helpful to, because we're always saying it, hey, this was written to a bunch of people in their time in this. Sometimes it might be helpful to say, okay, what we're going to be talking about now is this. Now, this happened in this time, and this is what was going on in this time, and these are the references in the Old Testament that they're referring to, mm-hmm. and then go into what we're talking about. So they're already, people don't get lost, they're already caught up. They know, okay, this is the time, this is what it meant, these are the scriptures that we're going yeah, to go I agree. back to, and then we can move forward and everybody can kind of follow along. No, and I agree maybe- with you. Maybe we could give our listeners homework. Mm-hmm. Hey, the next episode, we're going to be reading through oh, yeah. Hebrews chapter 3. So if you want to read ahead, prepare. When they can choose to or not. And they can but choose that's a to good or idea. not. Yeah. But they could read ahead, and if their Bible has commentary, they could look at that. If they don't want to read it, they don't have to. But if someone really is trying to dig into this with us, knowing where we're going next mm-hmm. might be 
helpful for the path yeah. that y'all keep talking about. Just understand, like for me as a teacher, like I have weaknesses in areas that, you know, that some things that I don't know how to do or that I haven't done before. And so this has been good. It's been an educational time for me. And I think that it's important to learn and let's make this a really, really good study. And we can, where we can all be on the same page. So, all right. So in part four of this study, I stated that I see all things in subjection to Jesus Christ today. I then went on to say the following. Here is the place where you'll most likely disagree with me. Look around, Rick. How could you possibly believe everything and all God's enemies are under his feet and subjected to him? The world is crazy right now. Islam is on the rise. There's school shootings, abortion, war, terrorism, corporate greed. You can't be serious. And then I said, I am, (laughs) right? So rather than be mysterious about what I mean, which can come across as condescending or smug, as one of our dedicated listeners wrote to us, really wrote to me, among some other choice names that he gave for me. (laughs) And with the advice of some in this cast, I want to state exactly where I'm heading in this study. Then at least you can determine if the study is for you or not. When I did the four-part introduction with Andy, I began at the very beginning of all things, creation. If God exists, then how do we learn about him? Who is he? What is he? I thought it was necessary to inform our atheist listeners that all of our understanding of God comes from this library of ancient writings compiled into our Bible. So, like I told you, Andy, like if you want to know who God is, according to the Judeo-Christian ethic, you're going to draw that information from the Bible. That's where it comes from. That's true for the Jew, because the Old Testament is their current Bible, the Tanakh. It's true for the Christian, because we have the Old Covenant, we have the Tanakh, and we also have the New Covenant, or the New Testament. And so, we have to—this is where we learn— who God is. If you go to the Quran, then you're going to get the perspective from an Islamic point of view. They also use the Tanakh. They go to the Old Testament, but then they have the New Testament. They believe that Jesus is a prophet, but he is not divine, things like that, right? But when it comes to the God, the Judeo-Christian ethic that you find in early America, it comes from the Bible, all right? So I hope that you, the listener— can understand that our audience is made up of those who don't believe in God and to those who do. We have some listeners that believe that the Bible is God's holy word, and some believe so much they even think the maps and the index drip down from the portals of glory. And I don't go that far. But I do believe that the Bible is inspired by God and that men on earth pinned down what God breathed into them in their time and culture. By this point, you all should know that about me. So let me try to describe where I'm headed with the help of the cast in this episode before getting into part five. Keep in mind that not all of the cast agree with me, yet they are here to work all of this out with me. Andy, can you read John 18, 36, please? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. John 18, 36. Thank you. We have to try and understand what Jesus means here. The battleground isn't in this physical world. These words uttered by Jesus tell us that his kingdom isn't of the natural flesh and blood Israel. It isn't of the realm of the Caesars. It transcends both. If it were of this physical world, then and only then would the servants of the Messiah fight physically. And pay close attention to those four little words in that statement of Jesus, but as it is. 
That is a time statement, but as it is. At the moment in time, while he stands in front of Pontius Pilate prior to his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, his kingdom is not of this realm. This will change when he takes the forever throne of David as king. If you recall in my earlier conversation with Andy, I explained that when Adam eats of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that he lost access to the tree of life. He lost the ability to remain immortal. Adam's immortality was based on God's command to refuse to eat of that tree. But I also pointed out that God put both trees there. Due to this, man's physical body would return to dust. Yet we learned that the soul would sleep in a place called Sheol. The Greek word for Sheol is Hades, the place of the dead. Mankind can no longer be with God ever again. So at that point, mankind got mankind cannot get back to God. They they're they can't. It just it doesn't work. So all he will ever have, all man will ever have is his physical life on earth, then die. And this is death. This is the sting of death. This is what has troubled man ever since. In the physical world, there remains physical death even now. We see it. Am I wrong? Of course not. In the physical world, we see death. Yet something will change through Jesus. Cherry, can you read Romans 6.23? For the wages of sin is death, but the gracious gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's from Romans 6.23. God gives mankind a gift his only son, so that those who believe in him will obtain eternal life. To some, it seems barbaric and cruel. Why would God need to do a blood sacrifice of his son? Look around. Does this world seem barbaric and cruel and evil to you? Of course, there are some things in this world that are not. Some things are beautiful and wondrous and good. By the way, I don't know if you've seen the latest images from the James Webb telescope, but it is stunning. Yeah, that thing is amazing. Dude, it makes... like. I'm not just, maybe that dude was right. Maybe I am a smug, but guess what? It almost makes you want to cry because he's not just looking at stars anymore. They're looking at galaxies, man, forever galaxies, way out there. Yeah, way in the past, Uh, way in the past. Yeah, this is such a wondrous thing that we're looking at it, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and it's like, wow, how do we even begin to define this? We can't. You know, we're discovering things even today. So many many planets. I I remember, sorry, quick divergence. No, you're fine. I remember in my own lifetime, I'm 45 for anybody that cares. Uh, I remember in my own lifetime, the pervasive thought was, that there were not other planets outside of our solar system. Like, yep. that's just a thing that was kind of taken for granted. I Maybe that wasn't a pervasive thought at, like, the highest levels of— uh, Yeah, science or astrophysics. But— but if you walked around town and asked people, that was what they thought. Right. No other planets, yeah. which is the dumbest thing possible. And we assume dumb things all the time, but it is wild to me that that is true about I know. my life. And, and I wonder what 100 years from now, the things that we say, how dumb they're going to be, and right? Go, oh, some, oh, man, me, just me alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but, all right. So you've got evil, barbaric, cruel. You've got beautiful, wondrous, and good. Do you know, do you know why that is? Welcome to the knowledge of good and evil construct. You eat, sleep, and breathe in it every day. This is the physical life landscape. This is where wars are waged and blood is spilled, and to dust shall we return. Humanist philosophy resides here. To the humanist, there is no need of the divine or supernatural to exist or to intervene. I would, Andy, would you say you're somewhat of a humanist, right? So yeah. would you agree with that? You do, there's no need for the divine or supernatural to exist or to intervene. Oh, well, not to 
not for the existence of the universe and man. Right, uh, right, exactly. So, there could be a purpose. It depends on what you mean by need. There, you know, you yeah, could the, conceivably create a purpose for one, but maybe not a need. But as far as a human, uh, a humanist philosophy, there's no need for supernatural no. anything. It's just this is what it is, yeah. right? Yep. So they stress the potential value and goodness of human beings. I know that to be true. They are, they emphasize common human needs and seek rational ways of solving human problems. I think that's good and real. And honestly, I am absolutely fine with that. And I think it's wonderful if humans work together for the common good. In fact, and we've said this so many times, I'm living in a time where this is more prominent than ever. Yeah. And I agree with you on that, Andy. I think that's true. The only problem that I have with that is I see exactly what the Bible, which is what we study in this room, has to say about that philosophy. There are some humans that desire to harm and destroy other humans. We know this. We have both, right? It's been this way ever since humans came on the scene, since you know we started taking sticks and beating each other and dragging women into the cave. It is the way of the world, you will hear people say. So why would God subject his son to this place? Love. This is where I always bring it back. Ralph, do you mind reading uh, for Tiziana? John three sixteen through 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. So down through the ages, man has feared death. And some don't. Some just see death as a part of life. It's the natural order of things. And what I'm saying is that I agree. It is the natural order of things. Here, within this physical construct, the knowledge of good and evil construct, the place where sin and physical death is, where I differ from some Christians is that I believe this physical order never ends. I think this goes on forever. It will always remain. And there's a lot of people that will disagree with me. Wouldn't you agree sure. with that? Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people will disagree with me on that. So some will say that the Bible teaches the end of human history. Josh Sexton said it in his testimony that came out today. I used to read the Bible that way too, and I don't anymore. I see something entirely different from what I've been taught my whole life. And I'm going to show you in this study of the Epistle to the Hebrews why God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden. And I'm going to show you how Jesus came here to take you back to the garden of God, yet when you return, there you will only see the tree of life. There is no mention of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil there. Rickening, can you read Revelation 2-7 for us, please? Yes, I will. <laughs> read it like that. <laughs> the one who has an Let's ear. not do that, please. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was excited. I was like, he's going for it. Go for it, whatever. And then no. I'll read it like this. <laughs> The one who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat from the tree of life, which is in paradise of God. So the outcome of the believer in one of those seven churches in Asia Minor, who overcomes, is granted to eat from the tree of life. The tree is in the paradise of God. The other tree isn't mentioned. The effect of the tree of knowledge of good and evil separated man from God, right? Do we all agree with that? Everybody in this room understands that the so, Bible teaches that. Yeah, I find that interesting. So when you say that, do you mean literally physically? What? Separated from God? Because Adam was 
Yeah, he was, was driven out. Physically walked with he was, God. He did. He right? was physically driven out of the garden where God was. I just, I just think that's an interesting distinction, and I wanted to see if that was an insane distinction or no, one not that at all. Physically separated. He was physically okay. separated from God, the garden of God, where he could walk with God. You're right. That's because you've heard enough of the Bible to know that man walked with the, you know, he walked with the voice. I think he heard the voice of the garden walking in the cool of the day. So. <clears throat> Let me ask, and kind of to back Andy up, was it a full disconnect, or was it just a physical disconnect? Well, to me, it can't be a full disconnect because God still talks. Right, he still had a lot of involvement he did. before he, Jesus he, came. Because yeah. we know that Cain and Abel, like whenever Cain is upset because his sacrifice was not acceptable, God says, sin is crouching at your door. So God's still talking. Right. 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 But he's been kicked out of that special place, that special garden of God where he could walk with him and live immortal. So is it right to say that he was physically disconnected from God? If yes. he was still there talking to them in their presence, even after they were outside of that area, uh-huh. because you're saying he's talking to Cain because he physically visited with Cain. I think he went well, from the realm of God to the realm of man. Let me. Let me I don't. I, well, I mean that the, the so okay, yeah, I see where you're going with that. Let me think. Let me say it this way then. All right, so physical, the Bible makes it clear: no man has seen God at any time. No man. That means zero men have seen God at any time. However, we know that Moses has seen a part. Well, didn't Enoch walk with God? He saw the back of his head. That's e all he could look on. But Enoch walked with God. Yes, and then was no more. Right. Right. So, but if he can't see him, he's walking with him, right? Well, from the context of the Bible, the Bible says that Enoch walked with God. Didn't say how long, didn't say when. That's right. It just says he walked with him. So if he walked with him, did he walk with him to that he could see him? I'm not sure. Again, that's that's I mean, putting got, context and uh, speculating. Right. I mean, this is really a good point that you're making because where I'm where I'm heading with this study is to understand the disconnect between the physical and the spiritual. And you and I are going so deep into Genesis of recent yeah. that it's it's crazy. <laughs> it really is. It's bananas. Yes. But so I feel like to me the physical connection that he had when it says he was driven out of the garden. Right. So let's say this. Maybe he wasn't disconnected from God, okay. but he was disconnected from the tree of life. He was disconnected from that area. He was disconnected from, well, specifically God says you cannot eat of the tree of life. Get out of here. So he was disconnected from that space. Go ahead. Well, wouldn't you say that there had to be some type of change physically of some sort, some type of disconnection, because it says, of course, Adam, when... God asked where Adam was. He says, I hid myself because I was naked. So he had had a physical change. Yes. Adam had. He recognized it. He hid himself. So at some point in time— Well, I don't know that it's a physical change. Well, I think it's more of a mental change. It's like a mental change towards himself, right? Mental is sort of Maybe. physical. Yeah. I mean, well, it's in the brain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was just saying, you know, there had to be— there. There's probably just like multiple levels of change there. Yeah. I yeah. think I think physical is a difficult word, and I used it in maybe incorrectly. I'm starting to see now. Well, no, I think it kind of no, that was good because it drove Rick to drive yeah. me to see that the disconnect maybe not be from God as much as it was from the tree of life, the access to immortality. Well, I think it was. I think it was 
from God too. It just wasn't a severance. Yeah, right. A, a complete full like, severance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the relationship of Adam's children to God is much different than Adam's original relationship to God. I think that's so. a great point. But, yes, but it's it's wildly different. It's not yes. completely disconnected. But I would it say is maybe if it different. was a physical thing. This kind of lead, and I'm I'm sorry. While we were sitting here and we were reading earlier, I don't know why this came to me. But as we were talking, we've had that discussion maybe. I don't know if it was in person or it was on the podcast. But there was the talk about death being available to the world before, quote-unquote, death came in. Yeah, that's something that Pastor Curtis teaches, that death was there in the world um, because, because there were seasons, right? In, uh, Genesis, and in order to have seasons, you have winter, which is death. Gen- right? and Genesis one fourteen, it speaks of seasons. Yes, which is and a little tie on to my Adam side study that we talked about the possibility that Adam was a lot longer. Yeah, he lived older. A, a lot older than what he was, or at least we think maybe he was based on Genesis five. Right, Genesis five said he was nine hundred thirty years old, so possibly he was older. Mm-hmm. If he was older, what made the change? Now, I'm I'm kind of help, maybe helping you understand that there is a change with Adam after he ate the tree mm-hmm. of the knowledge of good and evil. If there is a chance for seasons, that, and I don't know why this came to me, that possibly the death that was in the world was of that tree. Mm-hmm. Because once Adam ate of that, God told him, when you eat that, you're going to die. Right. That him ingesting that, changed him physically. Physically, yeah, because then he physically that died. He, and I, I mentioned this, and I don't know if our listeners have ever seen the movie Millennial Man. It was it Robin Bicentennial Williams. Man? Bicentennial yeah, Man. Bicentennial Man. Yeah. Robin Williams. He could, he could basically live forever. Until the end of the movie, he takes a quote-unquote serum that made his mechanical body break down till he, he met death. So in essence, I mean, again, this is a speculation part of my science study. That Adam physically was immortal mm-hmm. until he ate of that tree. Mm-hmm. Because God told him, in the moment you eat that tree, you're going to die. Now, we can debate the day or whatever part of that side study. But I think eating of that was a part of bringing... That's when it said, God said that death came into the world. It hopped off of what that tree was and into him. Mm-hmm. And from that point, it was a part of human life for the rest of our lives. You know, and it's this is kind of interesting because this is going to lead into where the study goes later, guys. When you think about what the Bible talks about in resurrection, it says that we will be given a new body like Christ's, correct? That our flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, but we, in a moment in Twinkle and I, we will all be changed, and that we will be given a body that will be like His. And so one of the things that I used to question— was because because I've always been told that in Genesis when it says and God made them coats of skins, yes. I always assumed that it was an animal and that that was the first blood sacrifice because that's what we've always been taught. But you know, it never actually says that. It just says that He made them coats of skins. And so I thought, what if they had the body like Christ had, but after they became mortal, He reversed that body and gave them the body that goes to death? Do you see what I mean? So would that? It's a of big course... stretch. It's a big stretch, guys. It could be an animal. It sounds like it should be an animal because of what Abel does and what Christ does. Like well, the, it sounds like a blood but, sacrifice is what's but happening. But couldn't that then also explain why Adam hid himself because then he seen his body? 
Yeah, he's seen whatever. Well, I don't know what it would. When I say coats of skins, I don't mean that he's walking around where he's just like muscle and tendon and stuff. I right. mean that his body is that special body that could be in the presence of God in the garden, in mm-hmm. the paradise area. What a place that we can't go until we get this new kind of body. Well, so like if, if God is light and you can't see him or you'd be blinded, mm-hmm. it's like in that movie Cocoon, you know, they come out of that right. and there's the right. light. Well, if you are that, then you can look at that. If you're not that, you can't look at it. Right. right. And then what you were saying, they you're not the only one that's thought that about the Bible because there are many stories in books and in movies where take, for instance, in The Hobbit, when the gal who's the elf yes. decides to stay with mortal man yes. and she gives up her immortality. Right. And you do right. you see that in comic books too. Yes. They give up their immortality to be with uh, uh, to be with a human. So yes. you're not the only one to have thought of that. Yeah, I mean, and I think that so to get back to where we were in the study, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is what separated man from God, whatever that separation may be, it's definitely well. And that's a what disconnect. I was saying earlier. Maybe it's a it's a separation. There's a, there's the realm of God, and then there's the realm of man. And he went. He was in the realm of God, but now that you've done this, now that you're now you're in the realm of man, and the only way to come back into the realm of God is through Jesus. That's yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And I can so, I can definitely agree with that, but the context of the Bible doesn't specifically say he left one realm to the other. We're, and, and that's the that's why it's so debatable. I think, I think it does actually. When we do our side study on what is the Garden of Eden exactly, I think I think that it does actually. It says what that he left a realm. That I think that the realm is a thing that you can no longer see because the Garden of Eden was on the earth. However, it is blocked by the cherubims with the flaming sword. Very do you true. see the Garden of Eden now? No. But when you go back you, at the end of Revelation, when it's all said and done. We have access to that tree of life again. And he was cast out. Right. To the paradise of God. You know, I mean, we'll get into that, right? Cool. But cool. the knowledge Sorry. of good and evil, the way the Bible describes it, is that's sin. So yet God provided Jesus Christ as a propitiation for our sins. Sarita, can you read First uh, John 2, 1 through 2? My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So we see here that the effect of sin within this physical construct is dealt with through an advocate, Jesus Christ. I mean, guys, this is why Jesus came to this place. He became a flesh and blood man. That's what the Bible teaches. Many people think that the word propitiation means that he was like a substitute. That's not what it means. Andy, can you give us the definition of propitiate? I'm so glad a bunch of people said it before we got to this, because I was looking at this going, I don't know how to say that at all. Um, Propititate. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That sounded really bad. Propitiate. Propitiate, right? Yeah, Yeah. propitiate. Okay. Verb, win or regain the favor of... Bracket, a God spirit or person by doing something that pleases them. Right. So Jesus as that's our a fun word. I it is to point out that that's a that's a good good word. Yeah, learn that. Learn that and tell him you have propitiated for him, you know, when you're talking whatever it might be. It's hard to use that word in a sentence in our daily life. <laughs> no, you would sound awful haughty, but that's why you would use it. <laughs> so uh, Jesus as our advocate goes on our behalf and regains favor with God for us. With this in mind, let's look at a couple other verses of Scripture to get this solidified. Cherry, can you go to the next chapter in 1 John and tell us what he says? 
Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who has been born of God practices sin because his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin continually, because he has been born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother and sister. 1 John 3, 7 through 10. So, sinning from the beginning. I just was going to say <laughs> so something. Good. So good. So, so actually, actually, the, the, the angel that was kicked out was Maybe. not sinning from the beginning because he was an angel. So, do, do, do they mean sinning from the time that he was kicked out and became, uh, quote unquote, the devil? Uh, so, sinning from the beginning, you know, it's a great question. I mean, let me see if I can give you an answer. Uh, when he uses the word beginning, I think that he's referencing what's happened in the garden between Adam and Eve. I think that's what he's saying. Um, was it prior to them? I mean, obviously, he had the ability to think as a free agent and do things that were wrong because he was deceptive to men. Right, but this says the devil was sinning from the beginning. So I'm I'm assuming, which could be incorrect because I get in trouble for that all the time. But the, the devil became the devil when he came when he was kicked out of heaven because he was an angel before and he wasn't sinning in the beginning. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, theoretically, he started at some point, but he well, could have been sinning from our beginning. From the well, that, when, and yeah, from the maybe from the beginning of uh, uh, when God created Adam and Eve, he may have been kicked. He was kicked out before then, anyway. So that's right. from then, yes, Jesus was the only one to say that I saw him fall. Remember? Yep. Fall like a star. Yeah, right after yeah. right after the seventy disciples come back. Yes. Well, the thing is, is there would be no need for the knowledge of good and evil tree. Tiziana's here. What's up? (laughs) Wait. Okay. Um, There would be no need to put a tree of the knowledge of good and evil if evil didn't exist. Right. And we talk a lot about how God is working within the good and evil construct. Um, So I don't know if evil existed and then God came as a response to that evil and created a good thing. Mm -hmm. And the evil and God were co existent before all creation together. Oh, wow. That's or, oh, wow. I never thought that's amazing. That's a great fun thought. Or, or if God, you know, created evil again, as in the book of Job, the Satan that was wandering around then came to the, to God and was like, Hey, I found one of your faves. Let's mess with him. Yeah. Um, God had control of that quote unquote Satan. That Satan was part of the council. They had a job to do. That's right. And so, it gets sticky, mm-hmm. and I don't know um, from a biblical perspective because the only the only answers I have to this are like Taoist, you know, mm-hmm. light and dark exist together. But in the very beginning, God creates humanity, God creates the world, God creates, uh, you know, fruit and flies and, you know, sea creatures and all the like, right? We're talking like chapter one, you know, and he places the tree of the knowledge of good and evil 
Well, but you just said it yourself. You think of it as a Taoist, and that's what we've always said. The Mm -hmm. very first thing that he created was light, and Mm. he separated it from the darkness. Mm -hmm. And so that light and dark, a lot of times we think of it as like the sun or moon. It's not. It's something different. It's the light. It's the light. A chaos. Yeah. Chaos Separating order order and chaos. That's right. So so I don't don't know, you know? I mean, and and again, we talked about, you know, the knowledge of good and evil before we talked about that as well, about it, you know, being more of like metaphorical and all this other stuff or, or whatever, more like the eye, the opening of their eyes to something outside of the perfection of God's creation, which already, you know, outside the Garden of Eden, blah, blah, blah. So it's something that we'd have to do a deeper dive into, but it seems to me as if the God light, let there be light, let order happen, mm-hmm. predates evil and chaos. Or, or post-dates evil and chaos. God saw it and went, hmm. That's absolutely fascinating to me. Because I never, like, it's just a question I never even thought about. Yeah. It, and it, it, like Evil had to predate the tree, right? And, Otherwise, what was it for? Well, I think that everything has always existed because it, it's been with God. Like, it, it's... It seems to because even the Bible says that God creates evil. It says that now. Um, Isaiah forty-five seven. Yeah, how did, will you read it? Yes, from uh, and this is the King James version. It says I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Yeah, I mean, so that's because it's who He is, and so you think, all right, so God is good. That the Bible says it all the time. God is good. God is love. God is light. Right, all these things. Yet he has the ability— Chuckles in Old Testament. Yeah, he creates the evil. And what's that age-old philosophy? How can you know things are good unless you know things are bad? Yeah. You know, it's kind of—it's a very dualist, you know? And and again, you know, we're looking this whole entire book of Hebrews, this whole entire purpose of the preamble, all of this. We're talking about the long game to defeat evil, and it's almost as if he's using the tools of itself to create a self-destruction of evil. Mm. Because if he allows evil to cause harm to all of us, and then we're actually the ones who are like, we don't like this. We, you know, we Mm -hmm. prefer to live a life as every single one of us in this room has decided. I prefer to live a life in alignment with God and with the light. We didn't wake up that way. We started off in the sewer. Yeah. And so, you know, so is it is it that God created that thing so that we would know to have something to push up back against? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's that's a whole other conversation. Well, but, but it, I mean, but see, I guess that's that's why we're doing this 4.5 is because as I'm trying to follow the line of thought of the writer of the Hebrews, he is helping you understand where they are right in the moment that he's writing this letter and He's he's taking you back and saying, look, God said all of these things through the prophets. He told us all this stuff, but he came to us through his son. And, and we've in these last days, we know this is what God is doing. Like, and then he breaks down like all the way up through the faith chapter and how it's by, you know, through faith, we cannot even please God without it. Like we have to have it, you know. And so he's explaining everything that's about to happen. And he's saying in a very little while, you know, and I'll get to that towards the end of this study. Um, So let's see, where were we? All right. So we see, according to what back in 1 John 3, 7, that Cherry read, you saw where it says, um, uh, no one who has been born of God practices sin. (laughs) 
because his seed remains in him and he cannot sin continually. So we see the effect of the advocate. He, we cannot sin continually. Why? Because we shouldn't? Yes. And yes, because we should make every effort with the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit to not sin. And because we are born of God. That's what he just said, because he has been born of God. Notice that while you live within this physical realm, the effect of rebirth translates you into the kingdom realm. Do you understand what I'm saying here, guys? I'm saying that at this level, because you're born of the Spirit, you're still living in this physical body. What, what was it that Paul said, oh, wretched man that I am? Mm. Remember how wretched, how wretched, the things that I don't want to do, I do, how, how wretched I am. But thanks, but thanks to Jesus Christ, I have a way to get beyond this. Um. Let's look at one more verse just to drive this home. Rickon, can you read what Jesus said about how we should live in the kingdom? Therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 48. So the expectation is perfection. And our advocate, Jesus Christ, lived perfectly. This is what the Bible says. Not perfect to our standards, not perfect to your standards, not perfect according to a Greek or a Jew's standards. He lived perfect to the standards that God had brought into the world through Israel. He follows that line, okay? So my reason for doing this episode is to show how God can now have man back in paradise, even though the effect of the good and evil tree or sin is present in the believer because we're covered by the blood atonement of Christ. Jesus took away the sin of the world, just like John the Baptist said that he would. He took away the power of sin, and God accepts his atonement for you. And this is where me and a lot of Christians will differ because of where I think that how far we can go. Tiziana, can you mm-hmm. read Ephesians 2, 4 through 9, please? Yeah. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that was Ephesians, and we're studying Hebrews, obviously. So the writer of the epistle to the Hebrews tells us the whole story, just like you said, Tiziana, the long game, right? The end game. He weaves together the story of how God made Israel his people, gave them his words, and through Israel would come the Messiah. The Messiah came unto his own, but they did not receive him. Jesus proclaimed judgment on them. They had him executed. Then he resurrected. The Holy Spirit came and built the church, the true Israel of God spiritually who believed Jesus. The author shows us every piece of the puzzle and makes a cohesive narrative of redemption by faith in him. But during the time of this letter, not everything was in subjection to Jesus. That's where we were in part four. In Jerusalem, there was a high priest offering sacrifices at the temple. Yet Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus had fulfilled the law and the prophets, yet the ceremonial laws were still being carried out. The old covenant had to close and be done away with. The readers of this letter were expecting Christ to return, and when he returns, all things will be in subjection. So the question that I ask you, the audience, is this. When the writer of this epistle states, for yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay, 
but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him, which is found in a later chapter, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. Does he mean a little while? Does he mean that Jesus is coming to them who read this epistle in their time? Does he mean that Jesus' coming will not be be delayed? The writer is actually referencing the book of Habakkuk here, but it's for them. Habakkuk was written hundreds of years prior to this, but it was for them. It's the fulfillment for them, the ones that are reading it, the readers in that present time. I, personally, in this podcast, do not believe in the end of world history. When we read that death will cease— I believe that is true for the believer who trusts Jesus now and forever. When we read that every tear will be wiped away, I believe believe it means something different than how we think of pain and crying in our world. This is a difficult letter to understand, but you need to. I have two more points, and I'll close, and we'll move on to part five. If you get confused along the way in this study, and you truly want to understand what I'm sharing— then listen to the previous podcasts again. And let me ask you a question, guys. You guys in here, in this room with me, other than Andy, because Andy listens to it like 10 times. I don't, I don't know if he's listening to it from a reading and understanding kind of a way. You're probably just thinking of an edit. We're yeah, well, getting to him subliminally. Yeah, a lot of times I'm just <clears throat> waiting for somebody to go. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. So, uh, and I have to say, other than Andy. You might have to listen to a different podcast. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. (laughs) Of all of you in this room, how many actually go back and listen to the episodes that we recorded? I do. I do. I do. Ralph? I've listened to a couple of them, but no. Okay. I listen to the ones that that I'm not a part of. Mm. Those are the ones I like, too. The ones you're not a part of? Yeah. The ones that I'm not a part of? I have went back and listened to some of the ones that I'm in. Um, but I like to go and listen to the ones that I'm not into mm-hmm. because I'm not part of those. And so I just want to see, you know, what those discussions are about as well. Sure. It's weird hearing my own voice. Something that happens mm. inside this room, and I don't know if you know this or not, not, if you've experienced it, but a lot of times, especially the way that I write these notes with the scripts, when it, this is almost like we're a performance. Like we're mm. we're reading this and we're trying and then we're trying to discuss it. But a lot of times you don't take it in. Now, you guys get the notes early, and if you really read them and studied them, and you know, and that's fine if you understand it that way. But when you're in the group, a lot of times you miss points. You know, we've talked about that. Michael Miano said it in here. He's like, oh, he man. He had the baby. His, well, his wife had the baby. Yes. Yeah. He did not have it. You're no, right. He but, didn't. but they did have the baby, and it is <laughs> no, healthy. He and congratulations <laughs> to yeah. Pastor yeah. Michael Miano and his wife. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and have you seen the picture? Yeah, super cute. <laughs> Are you kidding me right now? Yeah, really That baby cute. was adorable, man. Yeah. So anyway, congrats, Mike. That's awesome. So, all right. I was just curious if you guys had read and people who listen to this episode, and we have, I have a lot of mail that comes in that's negative and disagree. And then I have a lot of mail that comes in that says, I'm excited, you know, and we can't wait till the next study. I think it was Carrie Thompson said, um, I can't wait to be a sophomore. And you want to know what that did to my heart? I was like, she's actually listening to this, you know, and it made me good. So let's get back. So Yes, it's difficult to understand, but Sarita, will you read Revelation twenty two ten through 17, please? And he said to me, 
Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So that is Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Holy Bible. Did you notice something? So did you notice that the ones who wash their robes have the right to the tree of life and can enter the New Jerusalem by the gate? Did you notice that outside the gate of the city that the sinners are still there? They can't enter the city by the gate. Why? Did you notice what the Spirit and the Bride say about the one who hears? Come. Did you notice those that are thirsty can drink of the water of life? I ask these questions, and I don't want to answer them for you. I want you to answer it yourself. I want you to think about the city. I want you to think about those who enter in, and I want you to think about the ones who cannot enter in, who are on the outside, and that these are simultaneous events that are happening at the very end of the Bible. And remember what she said. Listen closely to what she said. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he's done. And this was written 2,000 years ago to seven churches in Asia Minor. And it has to matter. It has to matter to them. So my last point is this. If Jesus prophesied to his disciples that the temple would be destroyed and the old covenant system would end, and we know that this happened historically. Do you find it odd that the Bible does not contain a single book that talks about it? I mean, think about that for a minute. Shouldn't somebody have written something? Jesus predicted it, and it happened. But it wasn't written, and it wasn't put in our canon. And I find that very odd. I think I understand why. I think it's because the Bible contains everything that we're supposed to know. That's my belief. Have you ever really thought about that? Is there anything like pseudepigraphal or anything like that that does discuss the destruction of the temple? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of, you know, writings in Coptic, you know, Egyptian mm -hmm. Coptic that came after that, 200, 300 AD. And, of course, the churches got together to determine what books from that group that would become a part of the canon, like we talked about, the Antilogomena, you know, those disputed texts, like the Shepherd of Hermas didn't make it, but... Um, the epistle to the Hebrews did. Sophia of Peter and like the all these acts, other ones. Yeah, the mm -hmm. Acts of Paul, which mm -hmm. did not make it in. So there were a lot of books that were written. So it's not as if, yeah, it's not as if religious texts maybe weren't written about it. Right. They didn't make it into right. the Bible we read. And so if there were any books that were written that talks about the destruction of the temple, that would be one of the best things that a Christian could use to defend that Christ's prophecies 
actually came true in the generation in which he was speaking to. Yeah, and a lot of those books could have been lost. People persecuted and that had written stuff, That's and the their thing. things got lost and burned. Yeah, some Who knows? So or they're buried in the Vatican. I was just going to say that some but of them are lost. But we're doing a whole oh, lot of yeah. Um, what we're doing a whole lot of what ifs. Yeah, and and I have just since really buckling down and studying since I've been a part of this. Uh-huh. I want to magnify what the Bible magnifies. And I don't want to pay a whole lot of attention to what the Bible doesn't talk about Mm -hmm. because it was given to us for a purpose. Now, I've not, I don't know much about the pseudo epigrapha and the Jasher and all this stuff that, that and, and partly because, you know, I've only been a Christian since 25. You can only read so much. And the five years that I have, Past since twenty five. Plus, <laughs> plus, I have four kids, children, and I'm homeschooled, and yeah. a real estate agent. Absolutely, listen. but all that stuff. Yeah. However, I want to make sure <laughs> we can do a lot of what ifs. And you say, what? Why isn't there a Bible, a book written in the Bible mm-hmm. in the canon about that? Right. My question to you is, why is there not one writing? about the second coming of Jesus and the people in the Bible. I'm not talking about outside books. Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about Josephus. Yeah, but we're talking about the Bible that men put together because all of those writings are out there and all these books that are in the Bible were writings that other people did that man put together. Correct. But all these books were also written by men. Correct. Mm -hmm. So if they were inspired, as as Timothy says, they were God-breathed, then... What was put together is is can be God breathed by him as well, right? But it's changed several times. So if it were God breathed uh, to put all the books together, it would all been put together and never touched since the first time they put it together, and it's been changed. But okay. to answer your question directly to me, no, um, I wasn't directly to you. It's directly to anybody. Oh, yeah. Why is there not a book that talks? Because if I had seen Jesus come physically in my eyes, mm-hmm. I would write about it. Right. That's the only thing. So for me. When it comes to eschatology, we all talk about I'm a dispensationalist or postmillennialist. Yeah. I'm kind of like a don't give a shitist myself. <laughs> I like it. I think there are so because many letters that, that we is, don't know that, exist because back then is? that's what they had that was nihilism? letters. I don't know. There, there were no but, phones oh, or anything. But for me, yeah, yeah. Like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a want to live in the nowest. Yeah. I'm a want to do my best to be a here and nowest. And when Jesus is separating the sheep from the goats, eschatology isn't one of the reasons why the nations that get divided before him are sent away. Mm-hmm. It's because they didn't feed the hungry. They didn't bring water to the thirsty. They didn't close the naked, clothe the naked. They didn't visit the sick. Right. They didn't invite in the stranger. So for me, because I started out my life as a fundamentalist Christian and then chucked Christianity entirely and then circled back all these years later, eschatology is the one part of my own faith that I've just kind of been like, I still don't really know how to reconcile the then and the now with that. Mm-hmm. So being a part of this podcast, I'm just sort of gathering all the information and in real time. Mm-hmm. So so during this book of Hebrews, every time you're like, are you picking up what I'm laying down or what do you think here? I'm just over here going, maybe. I yeah. don't, I'm, I'm, I'm just waiting for the, the hammer to drop. Like I'm waiting for the credits to roll so I can be like, you know, like when you see a movie that waits until the last two minutes to fully like, tie it all together and then you're like, whoa, because I want to I I want to know what the options are for eschatology because I I I I so don't care really <laughs> to yeah. make that be a sticking point for my faith. But it is that I haven't bothered such a sticking point to um, both pe- people exactly. on every particular side dispy. Yes. Post millennial, a millennial and it's it's a it's a big thing. I've noticed. And when 
you filter your entire theology through eschatology, I'm just not for that. I get it. I'm not for that. And so it's Mm -hmm. very, so when I read this, I'm trying to hear what you have to say, because like I told Rick before y'all were here earlier, that I didn't know what preterism was until I stepped foot into this place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, neither I had, did I. I had no idea what it was mm-hmm. until I stepped foot into the Giraffe me. Studios. Mm-hmm. Me neither. And so when I was— Thanks, Don't Andy. put that on me. <laughs> so when I was— it, when We were interviewing Damn some of these heathens. people who are major scholars of it. Mm-hmm. I didn't know intelligent enough questions to ask. Um, I have gone back and listened to some of the— um, the Don K. Preston, the I can't remember the guy from Oklahoma who we had dinner with. He was really nice. What was his name? Don K. Preston. Okay, him. Um, or actually, no, Don. Don. Yeah, he he was born I in had Oklahoma. Him with he, him too, he's from but he, Arkansas. But he does a podcast in Oklahoma. And then you also sat with Gary Demar, right? Didn't you come to yeah, Gary Demar? Yes, but we only had dinner with two guys. But one of them went Gary Demar. Was it mm, Michael Miano? Was, oh, yeah, it was whoever Miano. you guys went to Cracker Barrel. I Michael think. Miano. So yeah, I mean, that's, that's so where I've gone back and looked at some eat. of what their writings were, <laughs> and some, and so I can reconcile some of the things that y'all believe, and then I can go and reconcile some of the things that others believe. And post millennial, all millennial, I realized that was a thing recently. Yeah. So I'm like, uh, you know, but what I when I discuss this with my husband at home, mm-hmm. what I say to him is, if I try to view, and people on every side say that if you don't believe our eschatology, you're a heretic, you are, um, I don't even know if you're truly saved. Mm-hmm. I don't even know if you truly know Jesus. I don't know. Well, who are you to judge me? First off, the only one that can judge me is Jesus Christ, because I am washed in his blood. So judge me or judge me not by my eschatology. And I respected Rick when he said, somebody asked him, would you go to a church that taught preterism or a preterist church, I think is the term that was used. And you said, no, because it's not all about eschatology. And and when you said that, I was like, hmm, okay, I can see that. But like both sides have to, or every side, because there's more than two sides to this particular coin. I hate to put that in. It's a weird, it's a weird side of die. I hate to think about how many sides. It's a 20 sided die. It's a 20 sided die. Yeah, it's a, it's a DD. Everybody thinks that they're, Mm, everybody thinks that they're right. And they're, (laughs) and it's getting harder and harder and people are digging in and one side sounds so condescending to the other. The other ones might sound smug. They might sound, oh, well, that's what I believe, and I'm right, and you're not, and that's just how it's going to be. Mm-hmm. And and you, if you go and listen to some of these pastors, they sound like that. There is no love mm-hmm. in right. that. It's judgment. You don't believe that 8070 was the ultimate end of all things, and now we're living in this new Jerusalem. You're not saved. I don't even know if you're a Christian. Oh, you don't believe that the rapture is going to happen? You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You don't know Jesus. So I but have a hard that... time with the sides, the lines being drawn. How many ever lines on this particular die? I'm using so many different mixed metaphors; it doesn't work. But I'm tracking. But you know, it's it's so when you say some of this stuff that we've been learning, I do go back and listen, and I I did listen to. Man, our Ruth podcast, that thing was slamming. That, Can I just that say? That final episode That was, was a slamming gold. episode. <laughs> I, I agree. Did you that go back and listen? It I was agree. so good. Yeah. 
It was um, good. You I did, did a too. great job with that. I oh, enjoyed thanks. that. You really come, did. Um, come back for the next one. It's a doozy. Oh, <laughs> good gracious. So I just, with the email that you got that you shared with us, and I'm sure you get good ones and we don't see those often, but we saw Rick's. I but, can share some good ones with um, you guys too. I should. I just I thought that one was good because ever... he called me a smug pussy. I thought that was interesting. <laughs> I just, no. I don't know that you're smug. You're so rude. <laughs> <laughs> Ralph said I'm not smug. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be careful that we do everything in love. Yeah. Because without it, we're a clanging symbol. Yeah. When we speak to one another and here, all the way up the mountain, as I was listening to the Ruth podcast mm-hmm. and finishing up the Hebrew podcast, I prayed that the Lord would allow us to speak to one another with love, mm. to respect the differences of opinion. Because even among the two of you who are preterists— you you may have differences of opinion. I'm sure y'all have we discussions. We do. We do it. We talk about it all the time. All so, the time. but we. Yeah. I just want us to make sure that whoever's listening, first off, you know that we love you. Mm. Second off, yes. you know that Jesus Christ loves you. Third yes. of all, we can have differences of opinion, and we can even get heated in here. Mm-hmm. We still love each other. Yeah. We say that at the beginning, and I want to say it here at the end. And I love you. And I we, love all of you in here. We I do. love each other. I love you, Rick. <laughs> See, I know you do. Andy. Well, but, you know, you, like I just I love not, you, Andy. I just want to be careful that I'm not coming across as condescending or smug. I'm probably coming across as more confused than anything. Like Tiziana said, like I'm not sure you're laying down. I'm not picking up what you're laying down, Rick, because I don't understand. It. It. Well, and it's not that I, and I certainly don't want to be accused of being puffed up, right? With knowledge, yeah, that may not be biblical. Well, I think the good thing about it for everyone here, and especially you, is. None of that matters because what you believe about everything except for one thing doesn't matter. Everything that you say doesn't matter. Everything that people said before doesn't matter. The things that people, there's only one thing Thing that matters. matters. Jesus' death, resurrection. That you say, I believe in Jesus as my Savior. That's it. So all the rest of it, we can do this arguing and talking and, and whatever you want to call it, and we do love each other. But I think in the end... For everybody that's out there, keep doing what you're doing and keep studying because, I mean, it matters that you're studying and you're getting closer to God. But in the end, what gets you in is the belief in Jesus as your Savior. Right. So here was the, the, the when I first brought, when I first even started chasing this rabbit, because the conversation gets so heated, right? And because there are these incredible words thrown around like heretic, when it comes to eschatology, because it's the one place in my Christianity that as I step into a more um, a more curious Christianity, instead of the fundamentalism of my youth where I knew everything and there was nothing left to learn, as I navigate into that field, eschatology is one of the places where I'm still left. It's like when Karen Rogers gave her testimony. She just stayed out of Revelation for a long time. I, I understand what the end times are. I've gone to Bible camps. I've been saved since I was six years old. Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard it all. And in 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 seminary is when I first started coming up with, or when I first started hearing these different eschatological approaches and how, and that's when you and I very first talked, I was like, well, you know, it's probably just about the destruction of the temple anyway. And you were like, what? You're like, I've never heard anyone say that. I'm like, yeah. well, I just, we just talked about it. The thing is, I don't have a strong attachment one way or the other because it seems as if a strong attachment requires me to like pick a side in an argument that means I have to decide something about the people on the other side. And that's the part that I don't want to do. 
And so what's left for me, so when we're watching this, I'm just learning and I'm absorbing. I'm like, it's cool. I think I know where you're going, but I don't know because I'm still, I'm still, I'm still allowing the things that I thought were certain to be uncertain so that I can know for sure what is or isn't. Mm -hmm. And the only thing that I've never really quite been able to figure out when it comes to reconciling people that are like, believe in the rapture versus people that don't, where you're mid-trib, pre-trib, post-trib, you know, dispensationalist, whatever, right? Amillennial, amillennial right? Post-millennial. Post-millennial, <laughs> we all can agree on that. All of these texts keep saying that Christ is going to come again. And I don't, like, like Sri was saying, like, when did that happen if you are a preterist? Because mm-hmm. the, if the temple was destroyed and that was like the fulfillment, I can follow along with a lot of that logic and it makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. But when did Jesus like come in the clouds, quote unquote? Mm-hmm. Like it feels like that would have been something that would have been mentioned because that's what keeps he's gonna come again. He's gonna come again. He's gonna come yeah, again. Yeah, but that's a literal translation, and sometimes we get lost in not knowing what they what they may have meant by that back then. Yeah, like when you go that's, back, might have been a when saying. You go to the Olivet Discourse. We actually break that down about the cloud yes. comings and what the Old Testament. Oh, you do. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The cloud coming. Uh oh, so I'm busted. Well, the, no, the, but I don't agree with it. With that, the, oh, we'll have to go back and listen well, to it then. The, I came so Andy, late to the podcast. To There's like, yeah, all backlogs of stuff I missed. Well, for everybody out there that's saying, you know, people are saying this to me, and I'm a heretic, and I'm a this, and I'm a that, and I'm not going to heaven. Well, first of all, if you believe on Jesus Christ as your savior, all of those people, all of those pastors, all those people out there, you're all wrong. Because the only thing that gets because me I'm into right. heaven is believe. No, it's, it, the Bible says that the way to heaven is through Jesus no, Christ. No, I meant me, not you. So, so, if, so anyone saying you're not going to heaven because you don't believe in this, don't believe, they're just flat wrong. And that goes for the the the, the most, most well known, respected pastor out there of whatever church to some lowly carpenter. Ha ha. Uh, the only way through is Christ, and if you believe as Christ is your Savior, you're going no matter what they say. The thing is that it is an interesting discussion. The problem is you don't need to be that person, and nobody in here is, for the record. It's just good to say that out loud, I think. You don't need to be the person that gets on this particular area, or that particular area, rather, and becomes militant about something that is not directly associated with salvation, Mm -hmm. which is obvious even to me. Now, that doesn't make it uninteresting Mm. Or or not worthwhile, you can be curious and have that conversation and learn things and form your own opinion, and, and hopefully you can enjoy that intellectual exercise. Yeah. And you don't need to be weird about it. And some people are because they get their identity too wrapped up in something, and that's well, that's the fault of the individual. That's the fault of the individual, though. It's not militant. the fault. It's not the fault of the thought. Right. Well, yeah, By, nobody's born prejudiced. It's just how you're raised and what actually, your parents teach you. Actually, that's sort of not true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, in your DNA, I don't believe it. Uh, no. Because it's, it's, it's what you learn. And if you learn that this is the way it is, that's where you're going to believe it. And unfortunately, there's too many people that get caught was, up in it. I was and, raised by a very racist white man and whom I love very much now. And, and those days are over. You know, we changed. We figured sweet. it out. Yeah, my dad. He was supposed to be here tonight, but he ended up having to go back home. I wanted to say one other thing, too, before we close this up. Um, by nature, this is a Bible study podcast. This isn't just a whatever. You know, we've decided to tackle the scriptures themselves. And um, much like you, Sarita, I really wasn't interested in eschatology. And the the reason why was because I was exhausted. When I say interested, I mean, like, it became so prevalent 
because we studied a thing and we discovered that like over 30% of the Bible is eschatological. That's one third, right? Almost almost a, a third of the Bible. So I was faced with it and I thought, well, we'll just tackle it. And I really didn't think much of it. But then as I started studying it, I started realizing like, oh my goodness, there's a lot to this. And I don't know if you ever struggled with some of the parables of Jesus, you know, like I did. Like I had moments where I would I would read them and I'd think I'd understand them. And then I would then I would maybe I would go to a commentary or I would get or read a book from somebody and they would give me their interpretation of what that parable was. I'm like, like I could see that. Yeah, I could totally see that. But I never really understood the parables like I understand them now until I personally started reading the eschatological verses in the scripture, because then I started seeing that all the things that Jesus were saying in these parables were in regard to who he was and what was going to happen and how it ended. Like that, that it was forced me to read and to study that. And then as I started going through all of these New Testament books, I found out that eschatology is in all of them. They're all describing this event that's supposed to happen. So I was forced with that. Now, let's understand something about me as a person. I am a member of a premillennial dispensational Southern Independent Baptist Church. And I mean Southern, I mean the mountains of Western North Carolina, Southern, okay? And Cherry and I go to this church. And I love these people. And when I say I love them, I mean, these people, what? I, said, I just yes, wish I everyone could see Cherry. Yeah, speak up, for God's you know, sake. I'm not going to interrupt you, but I'm going, yes, no, yes we do. Like, we love them, and yeah. we love it. Yes. Yeah, her face just lit right yeah, up. I mean, it was really do. cute. I mean, you got to understand, there's people in this church that are precious to me. And they believe, and, and you just have to understand, every single Sunday, and I don't mean some, I mean everyone, is eschatology. And here's why. It's because the looking ahead to the rapture Oh, that's true. And being able to get out of here. There's this desire there's a bit of that. <sighs> to leave this, you know? And, and there's as a former recovering premillennial dispensationalist, <laughs> I understand that. And you are recovering as well from that. Yeah, but see, well. but the thing is, what I did decided not to do was to leave the people that I love. Right. And I when I sit and I listen to these sermons, there were times in the beginning where I'd get uncomfortable and I'd be like, oh my gosh. I just wish that I could talk to these people in the things that I know and we could have conversations about them. Not so that I could shift their thought, so that they could understand me. Like, yeah. why am I acting the way that I'm acting? Yeah. And so I've been there. Yeah. And so when it becomes every sermon that comes to the end of it, and you got to understand something, my, my, I was saved at 10, but, and I believe that it was a salvation, but I worked out my salvation through fear and trembling at a much later age a much later age. And I did it with the pastor of this church. And I wrestled with this song, this gospel song, right? And I've talked about that. And I wrestled with it all day Sunday, and I wrestled with it Sunday night, and I couldn't sleep. And I wrestled with it all day Monday, and then Monday night, I couldn't sleep. I was exhausted. And I was so tore up over this, like, is my name in that book? I don't know my name is there. It was bothering me. And I was just, I had to know. I had to know. And I had come face to face with the conviction of the own sin, the, my own sin, the things about me, but also wanting, not out of a fear of hell like you will hear in some of these churches, but is in that I just wanted to know if this God really was who he said he was and that he was real. I just wanted to know that. I really did. And I had felt that as a child, but, you know, life chews you up and spits you out. 
So I came to this place on a Tuesday morning and I called the pastor of my church and I was like, I need to speak with you. And he stopped everything in his day and he met me at the church and we sat there and I'm talking about like crying and dredging up everything that I could possibly think of at and we go to an old-fashioned altar in a Baptist church. This is where you go. You don't have to, but that's just where you go in a Baptist church. So we did. And that man sat there with me, and he talked with me. And talked. we cried out to God together. Because when I first walked in that room, I said, I don't think I... I don't think I know him like I think I'm supposed to know. And worse, I don't, I don't know if he knows me. Like, I was really struggling. When I got up from that altar, I knew. I knew. I'd worked out my salvation through fear and trembling. And fear not as in afraid, but in reverence. That reverence that, okay. That's if, a bad translation of a word. It is. It's not. It's that, all. That fear, it sounds like you should be afraid. And yeah, of course, you know, Jonathan Edwards, you know, sinners in the hand of an angry God. I mean, oh, you, yeah. There's that, right? But but it's for a, me, it was just this sermon. reverence like, <laughs> I mean, it is. Sermon. It is a good sermon. It's, it, the title's kind of weird. But the, the, the whole feeling that I had when I got up from it, you got to understand that the love that I feel for my pastor has only grown even though we're on the opposite end of the spectrum. And so I have this fear, a true fear, an afraid fear in my heart that one day I'm going to be excommunicated. And the reason I fear that is because I do not believe the way that my church believes, but I am a part of the church. Why? Because they are a gospel-believing church that do everything in their power for our community and children and people all over the world. They, they give to missionaries all over the world just to simply say— did you know that God loves you? Amen. That is a powerful statement, and I stand with them, and I will. I'll continue until they kick me out. I hope that they don't. I have a fear that it might happen. I've even thought is about— Is that a viable fear? It is viable. The reason why is because, Jerry? if nothing else, I need to remove my letter. If I've honestly spoken this to my pastor, but I don't think everybody in the church listens to my podcast. There are some that are. I'm, and I'm just waiting. It's like every yeah. every person that I've talked to that's either a partial predator or full predator have went through this. And I know several men that I've talked to that are going through it right now. Joe Rosenauer, who'll be on the show, he lost everything, his wife, his family, his church, everything, simply because he does not believe in the future rapture. Like just because of that, he lost his whole family and the deacons made sure of it. Well, I hope that they By don't. sheltering him, what, her from him. Was he... Um, was he... Uh, like a significant, um, he was a pastor. Okay, so his wife Sarita left asked him? me yes. if I think if it's a viable fear. You and I have talked some about that. I think that you do have the same belief as the people inside that church, which is that Jesus Christ is your Savior. Yes, and that the most important thing to do is to tell the good news, to spread the gospel. Yes, that is the number one the gospel. thing. Tell the exactly. good news. Exactly. Yes. That is that is the Fundamental, yes. Bottom line, what the, what anybody's telling from the church. Yes. I think that your difference in views of understanding the eschatology, um, you're not in a position within that church that you are teaching within the church. No, your, not your eschatological view. No, you are not. Um, doing that through vacation Bible school. You're not doing no. that on mission trips. You're not doing those kinds of things. No, but I am doing it on a podcast. You and are. I am. That they have free will but to you choose are or not. not. But I'm also a member by the letter. 
Yes. Of this church, but which could damage by him harboring a full preterist that's teaching full preterism within his church. I'm concerned about the pastor whom I love very much because I don't want to damage his ministry. Right. I get that. I would rather pull my letter and just arrive there and be there than I would to hurt his ministry and it cause issues with him and other pastors around who are doing a lot of good for our community. And I don't want that to change. I think, though— I don't want that to happen. I think, though, that you're— like, you're not coming on this podcast and saying, this is the podcast that's part of this church. I was for a while. I mean, not, not this church. it's not all we talk about. Yeah, you're and, not, you're no, not but tying I mean, the two together. In the beginning, if you remember, I was a big time smart aleck about it. I really was. My heart but has you didn't really mean, humbled you, since You then. obviously didn't know you were going to end up here, and you're not doing that now. You're no, not sitting here saying, not. this I is would my never podcast, do that again. and I'm like part that. of. Right, know? right, right, right. I mean, so I think the fact that you're respectful enough mm-hmm. to discuss your own view— yeah, in your own environment, necessarily, mm-hmm. you're you're not out there um, protesting their view of eschatology or and, challenging the pastor yeah, in a public you're not way. Doing that, yeah, and you're not standing up in the pew going, "You're wrong." Right? That's true, but well, he has, like, I think he has. A, I think is is a real fear no. in that. It you know, very, somebody can go back and listen to one of those early and podcasts and say, well, look, to. this is what he says on his podcast. Now, yeah. yeah, it was in the beginning when you guys were just having fun. And, and I don't delete studying. old things. We yeah. we gradually go. You guys mm. said not to change it, and so right. I don't. Yeah, <laughs> you, I don't, don't you, were, you were having fun. You were you were learning. You were a bit flippant and just saying, just trying to get people to say, hey, you know, hey, look I at this or this, look at though. this. I say this. But look at you now. I think that our pastor has a love for his congregation and for everyone around him. Mm-hmm. But it might not be his pastor's choice because there are elders. You're right. But I'm going to say this. How could you look at someone just because they have a difference in an eschatological view and tell them that they can't be a member of your church? How is that you, not that? Wait a minute. Is that not the same? The is that not the it same? It happened to Mike Miano. He got kicked it out. It happened exactly. to Glenn Hill. It happened to David Curtis. But it is it all not the same as pushing out an alcoholic out of your church? Oh, yeah. Or any other sinner or heretic out of your church. But they do it all the time. They do. So then you want to wonder why society has a view of the church itself. Maybe everybody should stop and think, number one, okay, if your view is wrong, then you need to be under that preaching just the same as anybody else to be called under conviction to understand that your view is wrong to help you get right Mm -hmm. or vice versa. So you know what? While everybody's putting on their really nice jackets and their best and all that and preaching we love everybody and we this they at, you need to stop and think. I don't think shoving anybody out the door is the answer, regardless of whether it's because this one's an adulterer or this one's, you know, or they were well, smoking out front on the porch. Or this, yeah, or this one no, has Josh a difference said. in eschatological view. That is wrong. But they take they take the Bible so literally when, you know, think about it. If there's some sin that they're not going to get over, then you hand them over to Satan. You know, Who are, wait a minute. That's in the Bible. I it understand, says it. I, I Paul understand said it. that, but let's stop here for a minute. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the Lord God himself, the Lord himself is going to deal with each and every one of us. Yes. He doesn't need a man to do it Wait, for hold him. Hold on, hold on. Even Andy? Even Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Had to get it but in, I'm man. I'm just saying, you Here's know, the shirt. maybe that's the yeah. whole problem here amongst all of them, regardless of what view you have. Mm-hmm. Is everybody so hung up on everything else that you're missing the whole point that, you know, we're to come together. We're not to separate and harm one another. Because of this, because inevitably, whether you have a preterist view or dispensationalist view or anything in between, Mm -hmm. okay, they all claim one point that they believe 
that Jesus Christ is their Savior. Mm -hmm. That's it. Okay? So if you have that number one point, why hack each other out like that? Why do that? People love to do that. It's not just religion. So is that Christian? Love it. Is that the Christian love? Well, he just means anywhere. It's It's not, though. But we are supposed to be different. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just, I mean, I will say this. If it came to that point, I would love the church anyway, but I would really be surprised because I don't see that coming from that individual. Yeah. I just don't. I've contemplated talking to him about removing my letter because of my fear of what could happen. He's involved with some very influential churches that do a lot. I know. For the Western North Carolina community and for hunger and for... Um, uh, you know, mothers and single mothers, and they do a lot. And I don't want his ministry to be damaged just because of that. And I think I'll just have an open conversation with him about it and let him tell me. I've respected everything that he said, you know, along the way. I've told him the truth, and I've respected it, and I'll continue to do so, you know? But I think, you know— And let him decide what's best for his yes. ministry. I, no, I know? will. And I think that's why I should, say, should talk yeah. to him about it and let yeah. him. And if he does, I will happily remove my letter because I don't want to do that. And because I love everybody there. I really do. And um, Well, I think Sherry's absolutely right. And, and I think we all miss the point all day, every day. It's just yeah. about love. But by and, nature— I mean, really, it's, it's what he as says, love one that. another, it's, right? Yeah. yeah this, love one another. Why do you think Joel Osteen is so popular? Mm-hmm. Even though I think he's a— you know, motivational speaker more than a pastor, but you know he speaks of God's love, right. and everybody gravitates to that. It, the, the days of hellfire and brimstone are done, and if you're still preaching that, your days are numbered. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got this whole again. They'll read the Bible and they'll tell you, "Oh, he's just tickling itching ears." I mean, we know the Bible, man. I mean, I think. Well, let's just stop it there. That was four point five. That was a long episode. Um, Guys, yes, I'm teaching this from a full preterist perspective because I can no longer unsee what I've seen. I'm going to do my best to uh, to teach it. But within this cast or anybody that listens to this podcast, um, you can go on our Facebook page, follow us. You can send messages there. You can email us at info at Um You can call Andy. You can. <laughs> and, I, and I have a shout out to Rick. I'm very thankful that I'm part of a group of people where you, as the leader of this, make it comfortable for everyone here to espouse their opinion, Mm -hmm. and everyone here knows that you still love them and that they're still welcome to continue to come here and to ask questions and to have different beliefs than you. Amen. I hope so. I hope everybody feels that. For sure. I, uh, thank you, Ralph. But um, and uh, can I say to the audience, would you please quit sending me messages about Andy's salvation? <laughs> no, I'm not kidding, Andy. Listen, <laughs> or thank I'm sorry. No, listen. Please leave him alone. There's thousands of people. I love Andy and have known Andy a very long time. <laughs> and uh, it is my firm belief that Andy is a grown man who can answer for himself, and he will make <laughs> choices for himself. And oh, my hope. I'm, I'm sorry that you have to deal with it. Well, it's more okay. Than I'm a, but it I, I know from, it's all super good natured. Trust it, me. It I is very that. good natured. It really is. And, you know, I, I don't want to say, you know, you can't tell me about it because people are like, I'm praying for Andy. I want him to get saved. I'm praying for Andy. Look, I'm praying for Andy too. You know, I pray for Andy all the time, not just for salvation, but just for I his know, you mental health and for his life. You're, you're getting prayed for when you know, you're You know, I literally feel bad about that because it's just like, 
there's not a lot of de- it's it's I find this all interesting, but there's not a lot of debate for me. You know right. what I mean? I it's understand. not like I know you know that, but yeah, but it's yeah, it's not like it's not like I'm teetering on a ledge or something. Like this is a an interesting subject and a fact of life, and 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 I enjoy being a part of it. But no, it's not really. Yeah, yeah. and it's you got to really understand a thing for me. I tease Yana knows too. I I've known Andy and yeah. you have for like twenty five years. Yeah, you got to understand from the Christian perspective, no matter where they come. Well, they're from, just they're trying to help. Their their desire. I totally get that because they love Andy. Yeah. yeah, some people will, even Andy and, is. They'll love come him. to you and they'll say, "Andy, we don't want you to go to hell." There will be that side. Then there's yeah. somebody. Hey, don't Either you want way. to feel the love of God? Or Either hey, way, yeah. it's coming from a good place. Whatever it might yeah. be. It's just not my. It's just not my. It's it's not. It's not the fight that's in me. That's right. All. So feel free and continue to pray for Andy. I just all I'm telling you is that you're not going to hear me. Uh, come at Andy and say, I need you to do something because I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah. Please, please. Leave I'm just not gonna, you know, sorry. I mean, I love all y'all. I do and I get it and I will continue to pray for Andy too, but I love Andy, period. Does that mean period. they're only praying for Andy? I think you're okay. I was going to say, I take too. a little bit of offense to that. Yeah, like no, we're important too. No, I got, <laughs> I got some, I got some messages. They were like, you know, talking about, you know, the hotties in the room and then where's Rick's picture on the website? Is he a hottie? Um, no. Which, which Rick? <laughs> which Rick? Oh, yeah. Oh, my picture's no. on the website. They know oh. I'm hot. Oh, okay. <laughs> and by you? hot, they mean by temperature because I'm overweight oh. and I was wearing a vest. I think I think we should redo with the new beard and hair. Yeah. Oh, I think yeah. I, I, think I know. have a cool look, I think. Yeah. I like the I like the look. I think you should do the one picture that you have on your phone recently. Oh, his bless be on us. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, you should put that up. You guys don't know yes. that it's an inside right, joke. Right. Sorry. Let's right. end this. I'm gonna put my foot down. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's everybody, cut this up. Thanks everybody for being in here and let's get on to part five. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll talk to you next time on the Burrows of Berea. Peace out. Bye. 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 Hey guys, this is Rick from the Burrows of Berea. Do you know how much blood, sweat, and tears it takes to make a podcast? None. But that doesn't mean that it doesn't cost a lot. And so if you guys don't mind, if anybody would like to give to help us with these episodes, it would be great. We'll put out even more content. And if you go to our Patreon page, just search for the Burrows of Berea, you'll get extra notes, extra episodes, and it's pretty much free. A dollar gets you a lot. Thanks, guys.